Welcome to the Dream Plan Start Grow Show, where the goal is to provide you tips and tools to create and execute your business plan for success. Welcome back to the Dream Plan Start Grow Show. My name is Allison Turner. I started these interviews because I really love entrepreneurship and I love helping other business owners or potential business owners because I truly believe we can learn from each other. So whether you're brand new to business, you're wanting to start a business or you're a seasoned business owner, check out the rest of my shows at Dream Plan Start Grow on YouTube or on the audio podcasting networks as well. So today I'm honored to have with me James Barber, who is an award-winning Broadway star and international concert artist who's performed in numerous Broadway shows, including Phantom of the Opera, Beauty and the Beast, and A Tale of Two Cities, just to, just to name a few. You're, James, your bio is very long, so I was trying to like just make it a little more condensed just for this I purpose. I could have sent you a shorter one. <laughs> yeah, I thought about that like today, a few minutes ago, but, <laughs> um, but nonetheless, welcome. Thank you for joining Thanks. me. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. So how did you decide you wanted to be, I mean, maybe you didn't decide that you wanted to be on Broadway, but how did you decide you wanted to be, you know, a singer, actor and move towards this direction? Uh, interesting question. I get asked that a lot. I, I had no plans to do what I'm doing. My goal was I always wanted to adventure like I had always had this proclivity and this love for travel, uh, for space. I thought about going into aerospace and becoming an astronaut. I've thought about the military and, and, and traveling. I thought about becoming an archaeologist, an oceanographer. Those are the things that always um, got my blood running, the discovery of new things or the discovery of old things, things that have yet to be found. So that's really where my focus was. And uh, the truth is, is that I went to a school that was outside of my neighborhood. I went to a private school when I was younger. So I didn't know no one in my neighborhood growing up. Um, so I, ironically enough, when I eventually went to the schools in my neighborhood, people were like, did you just move here? I'm like, no, nope, I've been here my whole life, you know, and I was like <laughs> 13, you know. Um, but what I used to do was if I wasn't with my friends out in, you know, the other cities where they lived, I had about an acre and a half of woods in my backyard. So I used to go out in my backyard and like pretend I was in all these different places as a kid. So um, that's really how the journey started. I would start discovering and learning and playing and going to these different places in my mind. And, um, and then my sister got into performance. She got into, she was into dance. She was into singing. So um, my mom used to drag me to all of her lessons. So uh, by osmosis, I sort of started sucking up all this stuff because I would just sit there and listen to this music or what have you. Um, so in high school, uh, I ended up in my going to a high school that was near me um, and had subsequently made all these friends, played sports, did all these different things. But I found that through performance or acting specifically, I could become all the different things that I wanted to become an oceanographer, an archeologist, I could learn about them and then move on to something else. So, um, it, it just sort of fell in my lap and I didn't study music. You know, uh, people, you know, know me primarily because of the Broadway musicals I've done, but my background is Shakespeare and classical theater. So I ended up going to college for acting, not for singing. And I studied Shakespeare and Eugene O'Neill, Tennessee Williams, all that kind of stuff. And, 
And I was like, this is cool. And then I went to New York and started working. And then I realized that you could make more money doing musicals than you could doing straight plays because they ran longer and I had student loans to pay. So I auditioned for a musical and I got it. And um, that's sort of what happened. Then I started studying voice and that's what happened. Wow. So, yeah. so it's really the imagination that sparked and then your sister going yeah. into similar performance stuff. And then that kind of sparked the direction you went. Yeah, look, here, here's the thing is that I, I'm an entrepreneur at heart, right? I think all artists are entrepreneurs at heart. I think all people are entrepreneurs. Um, and as an artist, I had to learn how to build a business around what I was doing. Um, it is, it's a very volatile industry in terms of work, much like an entrepreneur's is. You, you have no guarantee of success. You're not a nine to fiver. You uh, are not on a paycheck. You're not like, you know, hey, I've got this job. I'm working at this company. And if I work really hard, then uh, I'll move up and up and up and I have job security. That's not what it is. So I had to look at it in that way. There was also an excitement about that, um, constantly creating and finding ways to survive. Um, so there were, it was a challenge. So yeah, that's kind of how it happened. But I looked at it as a challenge. There was excitement around it. Um, and the real thing was, is that when I started performing, it was the impact that performance has on other people in the audiences. I had a, my college mentor used to look at us and say, what audacity do you have to stand on a stage? And at that time it was 75 bucks a ticket and ask, you know, 1600 people to pay $75 to come and watch you for two and a half hours. And it really hit me like, wow, it's kind of a egotistical, narcissistic industry, you know, like, look at yeah. me, look at what we're doing. So it changed my perspective on that. And um, that's how it happened. I mean, I, I, I just ran with it. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And I think when you can find that passion, like early on in life and kind of build it up and figure it out and create it as the business that you were talking about, because I yeah. so know, I mean, I know so many you know, quote unquote, starving artists or what they're identifying as starving artists, maybe not in your industry per se, but, you know, painters or. Oh, know, no, no, no. They're my industry. Look, I wrote a book during COVID called The Artist Survival Guide. What they never taught you in school has nothing to do with the actual art of art. It has all to do with marketing and business because. Right. Here, here's the statistic in my industry. Right. So I just took and the, the book is for like anybody. Right. It just uses art or artists as a base but it shows how to structure and become the captain of your own ship, the star in your own field, whether you're an accountant, a car salesperson, a teacher, whatever that is. But I used a pie chart and I think it was the 2019 statistics um, of income for Actors Equity Association. And that is the union that governs professional stage actors, the top people, the Broadway stars, everybody. Right. And like, if you go to a theater, a union theater somewhere in your town, it governs those, but these are the top of the top, right? Uh, the, I think the stat, it's in the book, was 79% of all members of Actors Equity Association make $50,000 a year or less before tax. Wow. But here's the crazy thing. That's 69 to 79%. 69% and below, $15,000 a year before taxes. Jeez. So even if you're making that 50 Gs, you're at about $35,000 a year. And if you're living in New York City, 
Yeah, it's not going to go very far. <laughs> no, so that's the reality, you know, of 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 artists. But there is a way to actually survive and and thrive without being that cog in the wheel. You just have to think about it, like you you know, you're an entrepreneur. You have to think about it as an entrepreneur. How do you build your business? Right. And I grew up as an athlete, so I wasn't an artist. Although I did I did backstage stuff in high school, so that was right. kind of my claim to fame of uh, in in your industry. But yeah. I find that athletes brand far better than maybe artists brand. You know, it's interesting because, you know, when you see, and I don't know if that's the media kicking in or what it is with it, you know, but when you see the athletes and now you've gotten college sports, which wasn't there when I was right. there, the name image likeness stuff that they can right. actually sell, you know, in college, which wasn't allowed before. The Jim Thorpe at, You know, but it's, it's really, you know, branding yourself to go up the ladder, so to speak, you know, if you want to be just a college athlete, if you want to be beyond college to professional athletics, um, you know, but it's all about the brand and right. creating the brand, you know, and obviously you have to back the brand up with your stats, right. but you know, it's interesting to me that that's happened for athletes and that's been there for, you know, years yeah. yet in the world of yeah. art, it's really, I mean, I have a friend that lives in New York City who's a conductor and I mean, he's been, you know, in and out of, I mean, he's always done it, but he's also always had like another income because right. it's never been able to right. fully support, you know, him and his lifestyle well, and things it's like funny. that. I talk about that in the book. I talk about tennis or any sport, <laughs> like back when I like, you know, like I grew up in the era of, you know, like I was in New York, I watched Pete Sampras at the US Open. So you had Pete Sampras and you had Andre Agassi, right? And in sports, whoever scores more points that day, unless you're playing golf, wins. There's yeah. no arbitrary. Whoever comes in with the fastest time wins. There's no arbitrary. However, if you look at gymnastics, <laughs> that's art. It's arbitrary. You have people judging. Oh, I right. think that that tumble was better than that tumble. It's arbitrary. Art is arbitrary. So if I were to ask you, <laughs> who's your favorite singer? Like, who's your favorite pop singer, country singer, whatever? Who, who is it? Who do you like? I mean, I like Lady Gaga, but. All right. So Gaga, funny. I use her in the book. Exactly. <laughs> I can guarantee you that there are people out there that go, I don't like Gaga. Right. Right. So there is that arbitrary with art that is kind of crazy. I asked a, a, a critic who later became a friend of mine. He passed away, a really wonderful guy. And I asked him, we were doing a reading of a play where we were at dinner. And I said, why is it? And I won't use his name, a really wonderful dude. But I said, why is it that when a reviewer reviews a play or a film, they say, this play is good or is bad? Why can't you say, in my opinion, this play is good? Right. And let the audience member decide for themselves. And these were his exact words. He goes, James, we can't say that because the audience is not smart enough to make up their own minds. What? Verbatim. That's exactly what he said to wow. me. Wow. My jaw hit the ground <laughs> and went, it's true. So obviously I don't believe that, but that's his. that was his reasoning. So wow. to speak to your, to your sports thing, like we've always had influence in terms of artists and movie stars and you know, uh, singers and what have you, once you get to a very high level, uh, you know, it's, you know, which watch, you know, which watch is Tom Cruise wearing? What's, you know, what's, uh, what's Gaga, what kind of bag does she have, you know, and people then buy those bags. That's why you see prominent movie stars and television stars on all the advertisements because they carry weight, they carry influence, um, with athletes, because it's been monetized to a different level. It's almost gladiatorial, right? 
when you're watching yeah. football. It's like, who's going to win? Are they going to get beat up? UFC, <laughs> like it's, it's watching gladiatorial arena. Um, that I think the, the viewership is much higher. You have a, a, a much more wide swath of people. NASCAR, we talked sure. about, you know, the Indy 500, of course, before we went live. You know, you have NASCAR, you have swimming, you have tennis, you have football, you have baseball, you have cricket, you have, you know, soccer football, you've got basketball, you've got whatever, bowling, right? You've got yeah. with cornhole where they throw the, the beanbag. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a nationally televised. I know. It's so, a so wider <laughs> audience. But um, it is something that uh, I have another business that's actually directly, I can't talk about it yet because we're, we're still on our NDA, but it directly relates to what you're saying and how to monetize and give the power to the athlete, the artist, or what have you. Um, right. But yeah, you're absolutely right. It's absolutely right. So what were some of the challenges you ran into like early on in your career? Um, wow. <laughs> well, obscurity being right. the first one. You know, nobody knows who you are, then they're not going to know. Um, that's the same thing with any business, right? If nobody knows that you have a donut shop, nobody's going to buy your donuts. So how do you get known? Um, and so, uh, obscurity was one. And the way to do that was just repetitive, repetitive, repetitive auditions, pushing, continually showing up. I used to stand in line, you know, six, 7am in the morning and the doors to an audition wouldn't open until 9am, you wow. know? And at that time I was in New York and it was, you know, you got to imagine sometimes in the middle of winter, it's 28 degrees, you know, you're freezing. <laughs> cool. And by the time I got there, I tell this story all the time. This one particular audition, I got there at 7 a.m. There were already 75 people in line ahead of me, 75. Wow. So uh, and the doors, again, they didn't open for another two hours. So obscurity being one. Um, the second is having the skill set enough. To me, that's a given in any sport, any art, mm -hmm. any business. If you do not have the skill set, you're not going to play at that level. So you have to hone that skill set. So it was also like... For, for football fans, you'll, you'll see these young college players and they get into the NFL. They're like, oh, my gosh, it's going so much faster than, than what I played in college. Right. <laughs> That's the reality. I've had people call me when I was doing Phantom, for example. I played the Phantom. One guy, a buddy of mine, called me and he's like, hey, listen, I'm thinking about getting into Broadway. How do I do that? Right. <laughs> That's the conversation. I was like, well, wow. you've never acted. You're a singer. <laughs> like, you're a musician. But you've never like he goes, well, I just want to get in a Broadway show. Okay, well, then go do the work. Um, and it doesn't always happen that way. I mean, there are people that just show up and audition for stuff. A lot of television and film, like a lot of people don't have the, uh, the background of going to acting class and stuff like that. And they just audition and they're good. You know, it's like I, I talk about this in my book, too. It's if if I went to your dentist and say, hey, I got this film uh, with Brad Pitt. And uh, Angelina, you know, they probably won't do a film together because they used to be married. Brad right. Pitt and uh, I don't know, pick pick another amazing actress. Uh, Kristen Bell, right? Uh, okay. you want to, do you want to roll in the film? Your dentist would probably be like, hell yeah, I'm, I'm in, you right. know? But if I went to you and say, hey, listen, you got to do this root canal. Well, first of all, you can't do it even if you wanted to unless you're licensed. And second of all, you'd be like, I ain't doing that. So no. anybody and their brother can decide they want to be an actor and just do it. They can. So that was the challenge of, of persisting long enough through the nose to be able to finally get a yes. And then when you get a yes, how do you build on that? How do you take that? Now I'm in a good college, you know, football team. How do I 
rise up. Well, that's about your work ethic. It's about all of that. And then it got to a point where, okay, now I want to go to the next level, which was uh, I'm getting jobs in shows that are already existing or shows that are out of town. How do I get on Broadway? Okay, then I get that. Okay, how do I star in a Broadway show? How do I get that? And it's that constant pushing. But for me, it wasn't arbitrary. I had an absolute plan on how to do it. And <laughs> one thing I'll share with you is really interesting. I used to, I was touring with a Broadway show called The Secret Garden. And I was in the ensemble. I was in the chorus before I started starring in shows. And I would take postcards, regular postcards, from all the different cool cities that we would go to. And I would send them off to the casting directors in New York. And I'd say, hey, we're here in Cleveland. You know, hey, we're in Niagara Falls. Hey, we're in Toronto. Hey, we're here. Bye, bye, bye. And so we were in Toronto. We were doing a secret garden. And the show Miss Saigon, famous show yeah. Miss Saigon, was opening the same week that we were there in Toronto. We were touring and Miss Saigon was going to sit there for like six months. And so the casting director from New York, Vinnie Lift, great guy. He's passed away now. Amazing guy. Um, came to see Miss Saigon. Now, he didn't cast the show that I was doing. He cast Miss Saigon. However, right. he also cast Les Miserables, and there were a couple of people in my cast who had been in Les Mis on Broadway. So he came to see our show. Now, remember, I'm in the ensemble. I'm not starring in the show. I'm understudying one of the leads, but on this particular night, I was not going on for that lead. I was doing my regular role, walking around with a candle, singing, whatever I was doing. And so after the show, Vinnie Lift came backstage to see the people that he knew from Les Miserables who were in our show. Now he knew me because I'd auditioned for him, but I had never gotten a job from him yet. And he came up the stairs, he was going into the dressing rooms and he goes, James, I said, hey, Vinny. And he goes, uh, how you doing? I'm like, good. He goes, I was at the show tonight. I was like, oh, wow, awesome, man. He goes, yeah, I'm going to see Annie, who's one of the, uh, one of the girls on the show, Anne Rinaldson, who was one of the leads. And I was like, oh, awesome. Her dressing room's down there. And I pointed down the hall and he goes, great, great to see you, buddy. And as he's walking down the hall, he turned and he goes, hey, James, I just want to say thanks for sending those postcards. I love them. Wow. Right. I used to get made fun of by my castmates going, oh, you're sending these postcards. What a waste of time. Uh -uh. And I wasn't yeah. doing it. I just loved doing it. I thought it was a cool thing. So by putting strategy in like that, I kept in his head. And I eventually, he cast me in multiple shows. So those are some of the obstacles just in general. I'm a yeah. little long-winded. I like talking about this stuff. Yeah, no, I, I like hearing about it. So, but I mean, it's that that top of mind awareness. I mean, sending the postcards yeah. is just keeping your name in front of whoever, whichever casting. Yeah, what are you going to do? Like, if you know, this is entrepreneurs and businesses, right? What do you do as an entrepreneur or business that's going to set you above right. or apart? Not necessarily above. You know, if you talk to Grant, it's above dominate the field, right? Grant Cardone. Yeah. But what are you going to do that's going to set you above or apart from the competition? So that people will go to you before they go to somebody else, right? Yeah. Those things. Do it ethically, but what can you do to think outside the box? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and how much do you feel? I mean, because I always, whenever I see a show, and I've seen you know a couple on Broadway, I've seen off Broadway shows down. Like I just went to see uh, when we just see Wicked uh -huh. um, last month down here, and you know I. The, all the actors are the, you know, look confident when they're on the stage, but yeah. how much, how much does that confidence and the mindset and everything play into, you know, getting all those no's over and over and over and over and over again before you break mm -hmm. into, you know, actually being able to make your living in, in, you know, whatever you're doing in, as an artist? Yeah, I think 
It, that's an individual question, right? I think preparation is part of it. You know, Wicked, with a Broadway show, people sometimes don't know this. We do shows eight times a week, eight, yeah. eight shows a week. So one day off a week, typically it's Monday. And with a touring show, specifically Broadway's different because you know, you're sitting in New York and you're, you're living in the area. So you're not having to travel, but it's eight shows a week, one day off a week, one week off every six months. It's a grind. It is a grind. But with that, that repetition comes certainty. When you're talking about a tour, if you think about the Wicked tour, like I don't know how many weeks they sat there, but it's normally now financially sitting down for six weeks is, is not a lot. So they used, we used to sit down for six months, three months at a time in a city. Wow. But it might be two weeks. It might be three weeks, maybe, maybe four. And then they're up and they're moving. So on their day off, they're traveling to another city. They get to the hotel, they sleep, they get up, and then they do the show again. Um, so confidence comes with that. I'll, I'll share a story about a young, amazing performer that I had the honor to work with when I was doing Phantom. His name is Jordan Donica. And Jordan was in college and he decided he was going to do like a semester in New York, right? He, I don't, I don't know what year he was in college. And he auditioned and his first audition, one of his first auditions was for Phantom. And he got the second male lead. He got Raul in Phantom wow. of the Opera. Now he's 6'6", he's taller than me. And his opening night, he's opening in what is undoubtedly the most well-known show in the history of theater in the world, right? Everybody knows Phantom, um, whether you've seen it or not. And I'm standing, there's a set piece, which is a mirror, right? And it's a one-way mirror, so I can see out, but they can't see in, it's, I'm about to make my entrance. And he's, his opening night on Broadway, the biggest show on the planet, the second male lead, and he's doing the scene in front of me, and I'm looking at him going, oh my gosh, either this kid has no idea what he's doing, or he's just that good. And he <laughs> was just, that good. He left wow. Phantom to go do Lafayette Jefferson and Hamilton. He left wow. Hamilton to star as Freddie Einfurt Hill in the revival of My Fair Lady on Broadway. Uh, he then went to do the TV show Charmed. He's now playing Lancelot on Broadway in the Royal Camelot, for which he got a Tony nomination. And here's the thing. Wow. He had done like two Broadway shows and most of his friends were still in college. Right. <laughs> so there's a confidence that comes with just knowing what you know and being prepared. I think preparation has a lot I think it's 99% of it. Um, but it's also, you know, I still get nervous, you know, like I'll go out to do something brand new or I'm in a big venue. Um, if, if I'm singing a new song or I'm doing something else, speaking not so much on my own stuff because it's, it's my material. But if right. it's someone else's material, I have to make sure that I'm doing it properly. So there you go. Well, that makes sense. So obviously when you're on Broadway, you know, you stay in a show for X amount of time, you know, whether mm -hmm. it's the length of the show or I know Phantom the Opera, I think you were on there for a couple of years as the Phantom. Yeah. So what do you do like as a artist between shows? So like when you either choose to leave the show ends, whatever it is, obviously yeah. you're still maybe going after the next show, yeah. but I've, you know, you, most people are probably not gonna just like stop one show and like get another one next week. So. Right you know, for, from financial standpoints, like what do you, what's the best thing, you know? So if someone was either an artist or, cause I think this translates directly into entrepreneurship as well, yeah. if you own a business, because there's always lulls in business. 
Sure. And, you know, have the dips and you may still be, quote unquote, working, but, you know, maybe it's not the same revenue because it's a slow season or whatever it is. Right. You know, what do you, you know, you personally do, you know, once you finish something and then before you're getting that next gig? Yeah. So I got to a unique spot where I really didn't have a lot of downtime between jobs, um, which, <laughs> you know, I was grateful for. But I made a transition. I looked at uh, theater, like television and film, if you do a TV show. And you leave that TV show and you're a regular on that TV show, say like, you know, I don't know, Riverdale, the TV show Riverdale, or uh, even like um, what was called The Good Witch. You know, uh, I have a friend that was in that show. When that show finished, when that ended, she was one of the leads of the, of the series. She's still making money from that show because it has reruns. It runs and runs and runs. Yep. Theater is not that way. No. The minute I leave a show or it closes, there's no income unless you're part of the production team or, or you have a deal where you're making money. Like if you create a show and you do the role and you make a deal that, Hey, when I leave the show, I still get a percentage of ticket sales. Very rare. Um, so most actors are looking for that next job. Um, that's where that phrase starving artist comes in. Right. And I was going to call my book, it was going to say starving artist, and I was going to have starving crossed out and do thriving artist, but I changed it. Um, there, there's a, there's this whole thing about like, you know, when people f would first get to New York and they'd say, what are you doing? And some people are like, I'm an actor. He goes, oh yeah, what restaurant do you work at? <laughs> I, I got to ask that question. And I, I, and my response was, no, I'm an actor. And he's like, yeah, what, what restaurant do you work at? I'm like, I don't, I've never had a, uh, you know, a, a job waiting tables in my life. That, well, that's not true. I did dinner theater in my senior year of high school, but that was part of it. Like we performed at the theater and when we served. Um, okay. So for me, I looked early on. Remember, I said I would. You know, I, I think about this entrepreneurially. I looked early on at the need to have residual income. So I have television and film credits, so I make money from television and film, but it's not. You know, it's not sustaining. It's not hundreds of thousands of dollars. I can't. You know, raise my family on that. Um, so uh, I started other ventures, and mostly ventures on communication. Um, as you know, because we've spoken about it, you've heard me speak. I've spoken on mm -hmm. Grant Cardone's next growth con, Russell yep. Brunson's click funnel stage, investment fund secret stage. So I go out and I speak a lot and I sing and I speak and I talk about motivation, communication and the power of speaking from a stage. I've been on stage in front of over 200 million people live in my career and have directed, have been on stage. So I know how to effectively help people learn to communicate. And that turned into a business. And it turned into the creation of a brand called Star Power. Um, as you know, like, you know, I've been at, at multiple events with Ken Walls and Craig Doeswalt. And then Craig yeah. and I have a brand called the Rockstar Power Speaker Program. So I have a lot of um, I have a lot of businesses outside that actually are really fulfilling. And I can reach more people mm -hmm. than sitting in a Broadway show eight times a week and doing that show. Um, so for me, that's what I do. That's what the book was about. It's about how do you, and with my art, I can actually take my art and monetize that so that when mm -hmm. you're doing your gig, right? Let's say you're a voice teacher or you're, let's say you're a chiropractor, right? And you're dependent upon people coming in and coming in and coming in. Well, what happened during the pandemic is everything shut down. Yep. But if you had something online that talked about nutrition, that allowed people to, to stay in contact with you, you could have a five-part video membership site 
that you created based upon your blue ocean, as Russell calls it, your expertise, yep. and put that up for sale to the same people that are going out there, start doing Facebook ads and create residual income that's going to give you money during the downtime. So that's what I do. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. And I mean, think, you know, so obviously you did that, but you did that before the pandemic happened. You were already in that. I started to speak prior to the pandemic. Like I was okay. on the growth con, you know, while I was still doing phantom and, um, and so I was in the marketing world, but, I, but I've always looked at it this way, like early on, like, I think it was 1996, I had a newsletter. I had a thing called oh. YSP, your mailing list, or YMP, your mailing list provider. <laughs> and I created through front page way back when a website. Wow. So I was <laughs> capturing emails. I didn't know what to do with them, but I thought, oh, there are people following me. You know, people like what I do. So I've been capturing identities of people that follow me in a newsletter for years. And so now when I do it, like if I do a concert, I do a Christmas concert every year in New York, I hit a button and send it an email. It's sold out within a couple hours. Yeah. And so that's the power of this. So I've been, I've been thinking about it for many, many years, but I hadn't really implemented that aspect of it. The, the entrepreneurial courses and the teaching until probably right, right after I left Phantom, I started consulting with Ted McGrath, who's an amazing marketer. Yeah. I directed his one man show and I've spent so much time with him that I was ingrained in the marketing world. I'm like, wow, this is, and Grant, when Grant came to see uh, Phantom, he brought me his book called The Millionaire Booklet. He's like, dude, here's my book, right? Because he, <laughs> so he couldn't have a book at the time, right? <laughs> right. And uh, it basically deconstructs how to make a million bucks. You literally divide it. Like how much, how much money do you have to make per month to make a million bucks? And then it would be like, okay, how many courses do I sell at this price point to make a million bucks? It's not that hard in terms of the logistics of it. It's people, I think it's stuck in the doingness, right? We, I talk about like right. the gym membership, like how many people have a gym membership that they pay for, but they never go to the gym. You actually have to get out and do. So yeah, that's what I do. Right. No. And I, I mean, that's so true. You have to get out and do, because I mean, I know people that, um, you know, here's the big plan and then, you know, oh, I'm still working on it. I'm still working on it. So it never right. launches because it has to be perfect right. before it launches. And so it just won't launch because, you know, nothing that we launch is ever going to be a hundred percent perfect, especially right. if we're the ones critiquing our own stuff. Right. Um, it's just not going to happen. So one of the things you said at the very beginning, which I kind of intrigued me because I hadn't heard that before was. You said, you know, everyone is an entrepreneur or yeah. has that, you know, and, um, you know, I've certainly talked to people who have the nine to five or whatever job they have, and they would not consider themselves an entrepreneur. They would just say, no, you know, I don't do that. And um, like my mother doesn't completely understand what I do. She always asks me, like, what do you do exactly? You know, I think she has a little bit better, you know, understanding yeah. of what it is, but still probably only knows a little bit about it. Um, right. Like if someone, you know, said like, hey, I'm not an entrepreneur, like what would you say to that? Because I think some of that creativity that you were talking about early on in your childhood and the, you know, the dreaming and things like that, yeah. that is that entrepreneur piece. And a lot of people don't have that because they just they they're like, OK, here's my routine. I get up, I yeah. go to work from nine to five and I come home and I, you know, play with the kids yeah. and I you know, blah, blah, blah. So what would you say to that? My response and is this. So I, I did a YouTube video called What If? And I did it during <laughs> Phantom. 
And my question, and I asked this of a couple thousand people, I said, do you have a dream? Every single one of those people said, yes. Yeah. And then I would ask them individually, have you achieved it? And 99.9% .9 of the people said no. No. And I said, why not? And I thought it was going to be finance. It's going to be this. It's going to be that. Number one answer was fear, doubt. <laughs> I don't know if I can yeah. do it. I don't know how to do it. What if I don't succeed? So my thing is that everybody, I, I know this for a fact. I just, not that, I, I mean, I haven't, I've asked it, but I just, like, when you know when you know something, like yeah. awareness of being aware of something, everybody has a dream that they've had at one point. Even if it's, mm -hmm. I want to go to Italy or I want to go here. Right? right. Oftentimes what happens is the world presses us down to the point where we don't act on that dream because yeah. someone tells us we can't or someone says, oh, well, like an artist, for example. Well, you know, I don't know. It's a tough one. You know, you're going to be waiting tables your whole life. You're not going to do this. You know, get a real job. Well, I, you know, I want to be a race car driver. Oh, what are you kidding me? I want to be an NFL player. <laughs> ah, come on. It's ridiculous. I want to be a painter. I want to be an accountant. Why do you want to be an right. accountant? I want to be a music, you know, whatever it is. And so we stop our dreams. Yeah. It's why I created Star Power. It's why I created that brand. It's how to unleash the star power in yourself to achieve your dreams, to become the star in your field and in your life. Um, look, I have, you know, my wife told me when we first started, you know, dating at one point, she goes, you know what? At some point I would be content with just raising a family. Now, She's a workaholic, right? <laughs> but that was one of her things. And I was like, that's a cool dream. She yeah. goes, I want to I want to work and I want to build a family. I was like, that's a cool dream. But through different things in life and work and needing to make money and stuff like that, I mean, we've built an amazing family, but she hasn't really been able to go, you know what? I, I, I'm going to stop working now. She still wants to do it. So I think everybody has a dream. And what we've done is we've stopped it or we've allowed the outside world to press it down yeah. so that we don't go for that. So if you have a nine to five job, is it the thing that you love doing? Well, right. well, I'm, I'm a drummer really, or I'm a painter, or it doesn't have to be art. I, I really want to have my own business in refurbishing old cars. That's my dream. I love old cars. I love making them up. Great. So my suggestion is tap into that original dream when you're quiet with yourself, write down like, all the things, and don't limit yourself. Write down all the things that you've always wanted to do, the secret yeah. things that are sitting in there, even some things you may have not told someone, and go, okay, this is what I want to do. Now, right. here's the key. Don't cut off your main mode of income to just go and do it. You need to keep going with what is making you the money, but find the ability and find the time, and it's possible to start working on that other thing so that that becomes a reality. That's the entrepreneur in you. That's the person that gets up every day and says, hey, I'm going to go do this nine to five. Right. It's the motivation behind it. We get stuck in security, which I totally understand. You know, we need to make that paycheck. We need to make that money. But you can actually live your dream as long as you put a plan in place to do it. Yeah. And I mean, I think entrepreneurship, you know, it is constant work. It's constant personal work. Yeah. It, you know, it's not just, I mean, I, I mean, I talk to friends of mine that are not business owners and they don't. They don't necessarily or they see something on Facebook that I posted personally and they don't 
necessarily fully understand it. I mean, I did mm-hmm. 75 hard. I mean, Jack didn't understand that either, but, right. um, you know, so, but well, you're the athlete, right? Well, I, yeah, but it's not just a fitness program. If you look at, listen to Andy Frisella, yeah, it's yeah. like, it's a mindset program. It's yeah, a, sure. you know, that's what it is. I mean, so, but that's what I feel I have to continue to do is level up to continue leveling up the business. So it's not just like me trying to like, Hey, look, I'm doing 75 hard. I completed 75 hard. It's me trying to continue, you know, it's continuing to level up so I can level up the business too. So I find that, you know, the two are parallel. They go hand in hand. It's not one versus the other. And just like, Hey, let me just go study, you know, take this course or, you know, go to this seminar or whatever. It's yeah, do that. But then also do this over here. Yeah, look, it's the application of it, right? Right. I'm talking to my my oldest daughter, right? And and I actually spoke to both my kids about this. When the traditional education system, the one that I went, I have multiple college degrees, which I don't use, you know, <laughs> don't use them. I understand. I mean, did I learn stuff? <laughs> yeah, great. I learned it, made a lot of friends, but I don't actually, I don't use algebraic math. You know, I'm not an engineer. Uh what I look at with education is the fact that here's some information we're, 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 we're shoving it into your face, memorize it, and then spit it out. And if you can spit it out correctly, you'll get an A. What is missing is the why. Why am I learning this? And how can I apply it to my life? If I'm learning math because I want to learn how to shoot rockets up, okay, that makes sense. How do I take this specific math and learn about the trajectory of a rocket? Okay, great. If I'm learning about geometry, well, why do I use, well, I want to be an architect. Oh, cool. I get it. That to me is what's missing is the application. So we can learn all day long. I, I, I've had this thing. I've only mentioned it once. So many people go to masterminds. So many people join these, you know, whatever these conventions and they go because they want to be part of a community. Right. Right. We talked about it in the beginning. It's that gym membership. I just want to be there. I want to get the energy. Right. Well, great. You got the energy, but there's no doing this on the other side. There's no yeah. application of the thing that you've just learned. Right. And without that application, you're just going to stay where you are. You got to break through that ceiling. It's not that hard. It's that I think it's that thing that we've been told our whole lives. Well, you're never going to make it. You're not good enough. You're not. Yeah. Right. But you've got to just make that one little step. Right. And you'll rise up. I agree with you. Yeah. So what have you personally done? to continue to level up yourself. So from more from the mindset, the confidence, the, you know, the branding, all that side, like what have you personally done? Yeah. So look, you know, I've been in a very daunting profession. I've been through a lot of stuff in my life. And to me, it's always about survival. I always had that overcome thing. Like when I was a kid, if they needed four kids to run in the, you know, run in the race, I was the fifth. If they needed three people to be on the team, I was the fourth. I was the also ran. For what? I don't know why. Just it, it was what it was. So I looked and said, how do I take responsibility for where I am? Because so often I think people point a finger and go, oh, well, they didn't get me or they didn't pick me or they didn't give me the job or they didn't buy my product. Yep. Yeah. You know, and you, I'm sure you guys have heard it. It's like you have one finger pointing out there and you got three pointing back at yourself. Right. Yep. So I've always had this resilient thing. And again, I've been through some pretty crazy stuff. And I looked at it and I go, OK, what is the truth? What is the truth of who I am? What is the truth of those around me? What, you know, Tim Story talked about this, right? What is the green room? What is, who are the people that I want around me that see things how I see them Mm -hmm. and play at 
at the level that I want to play. So I work on myself spiritually every day. I work on myself as much as I can physically. I have an injury. My wife is a, yeah. you know, my wife is a former ballerina. So like, you know, she's 57 <laughs> and she, you know, she, she's like, she, she can like ridiculous fitness shape. Right. I'm so sure. I live with that, but like I eat as, as healthy as I can, you know, and when my injury is better, I'm going to be back at, at the regular workouts. Um, but moreover, I, I learn and I learn to apply, not just learn to learn. I can spit out data. You know, how, right. how many people do you guys know or do you know that like somebody can just spit out like statistics of a basketball team or okay. but yep. or statistics of a business, but they can't they haven't applied it. Right. So yeah, I try to learn to apply, um, you know, like on go high, we all we go go high level. Right. It's the, it's the mm -hmm. software program that everybody moved to now. Yep. So I was, you know, talking to Craig Doeswalt yesterday and we're like, how do we do that? Because I was helping him with something. I was like, I don't know, let's look. And we just figured it out and then we applied. And if we didn't, here's the other thing. If I don't know how to do something and I can't figure it out, I find the person who can. I'm not gonna sit there and go, I need to build a house, but I've never built a house before. So either I'm gonna do it and it's gonna fall over or I'm not <laughs> gonna do it. No, I right. need to find the person that can help me do it or do it for me Yeah. so that I can actually achieve what I wanna achieve. So that that's kind of the, the method. Yeah. And I think, you know, the important thing that you said was, you know, like spiritually, you do something every day, you know, so every I day. think that's it's the consistency. I mean, for me, it's the consistency. So, I mean, even myself and I'm sure you've done this, everyone, I mean, everyone in the world's done is like, oh, I don't really have time to do this right now. So, you know, so now I've started breaking it into like 18 minutes a day. And that's yeah. I'm like, so the stuff that maybe I either don't like to do or feel like I have to have like at least an hour and I don't have the hour. So I just keep putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. Like, I'm like, okay, you know what? You're just going to do 18 minutes. And mm -hmm. the next thing I know, you know, the timer goes off and like 20 minutes later, I'm still working on it because right. <laughs> I'm, it, I'm into it at that point. I'm like, okay, yeah. you could so, well, but, it's also that, you know, the, I don't have the time thing. Right. And like, yeah. I don't have the time I've spoken to my wife about this. Well, you know, we don't have the time. We got this, we got the kids, we got to go. And I look at it and I say to myself, okay, how much time am I wasting on things that are not right. moving me forward? Yep. And I don't mean like conversations, but I mean, scrolling on social media, how much yep. time, if you do that, you know, 10 minutes a day for a hundred days, that's a hundred minutes, yep. you know? That's unless you're searching something out. But if you can take time out of the equation and remove things that are not positive things for you, I'm not talking about going out to dinner with family or date night or taking a vacation because those yeah. are re regenerative. But things that waste time, you'll actually find that you have more time to actually accomplish the things. But it is that every single day work ethic that gets you to where you want to go. And sometimes you're just a good guy, got to stop. You stop, you, re, you know, you regenerate and then you keep going. Right. So what's next for you as far as the acting and the Broadway side of things? Are you trying to go back out there at this point? Or are you kind of holding well, right now? No, nah, I, I mean, I'm always out there. Like I get asked to do things all the time. Like, you know, when Phantom was closing, I got asked to do a reading of a show in New York right after. But okay. I had an event. I had Craig Doeswalt's event in Texas. Yeah. So I was like, can't do it. And it's that empowerment thing. I mean, I could do it. I could have given up Craig's thing, but I didn't want to, you know? Right. To me, it's about having control over your life. So I always do concerts. I travel around the world doing concerts. I did a show called Broadway Our Way, which was a massive success. I have my holiday shows in New York every year. 
Um, I'm singing an event in, in Fort Lauderdale in two weeks. Yep. Um, then I'm in, in, uh, I'm in, where am I? I'm in Scottsdale. Uh, so the performance is always there, but what I look at for me is I want to, if it's the right gig, then I'll do it. If it's just, yeah. Hey, I want to make a buck. I'm not going to do it because there are things that are more important to me. Right. Um, so I have my star power brand, which is awesome. You know, Craig Doeswalt and I uh, created this, as I said, the Rockstar Power Speaker Retreat, which is an awesome mm -hmm. retreat in teaching speakers how to speak and, and direct them and, and film them and give them demo reels and sizzle reels. We have that. Uh, but for me, it's, it's helping people build their brands and their livelihood, whether it's in business or in their personal lives, through my Star Power program. Um, mm -hmm. That's really where I get a lot of a lot of fun uh, personally for me. I mean, there's multiple yeah. things that I'm doing, but that's that's really what my focus is. OK. So. And I think, you know, I think that's crucial today. I mean, I and I don't even think I believe this probably when I started this company like eight, nine years, 10 years ago. But the branding of your the person as well, especially if you're a small business owner. So even though, you know, you have the business brand. If you're the one out there networking, because I'm out there networking a lot here yeah. in South Florida, if I'm out there networking, obviously people come to me because of me. They're not coming to me right. because I own Batcat Media Group. Right. I mean, well, you know, they're hey, look, it goes, it's, it's the same for a teacher. It's the same for a car yeah. salesperson. Everybody yeah. is their brand. Like my right. mom was a teacher, right? She taught fourth grade and she was a learning specialist. But even though she taught at a school in a public school system, she was her brand. Yeah. What was she teaching? How was she representing herself? How did she deal with the students? And a car salesperson, even though they may work for a big conglomerate or a dealership that is not owned by them, it is they are the face of that car before it's right. purchased. Yeah. So if you have the brand of yourself, you I talk. This is the main thing. You are your brand as an artist. Yeah. I am my brand. And here's the other thing. How do you build that? How do you keep it going? And if you crash your brand, which I did, my brand crashed, then what? How do I build back? What do you right. do to build back? If you've gone a different direction, if you're going, hey, that's not the right way. Branding is so important. It is vital to success because if you leave that car dealership and go somewhere else, the people that love you are going to follow you. Right. Right. That's the deal. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Now you brought up an interesting thing, you know, if you crash a brand, you know, or something happens, whatever that is, yeah. you know, there's ways to, you know, I, in my industry, they call it rebrand, um, you know, but it's still, I mean, they always say like bad publicity is good too. I mean, I don't know. I don't hundred percent agree with that, but it depends yeah. on what the bad publicity is, but. For sure. Uh, and um, if it's valid. I mean, well, yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? So that's the thing. It's like, yeah, well, yeah. You know, if it's made up, publicity, that's not good. But um, there's, there's always there's always a little spark of truth. And then things kind of they, they kind of expand out of the realm of reality. Right. But the, right. the, if you control your narrative based upon what you know is the truth, then that's how you build. You know, okay. so that's how you kind of rebuild then, too, if. Yeah, um, for sure. You know, you have to prove that you are a valuable asset. Yeah. Um, and I don't mean like, oh, you know, my, my self-worth is caught up in somebody else, but no. it is like, you know, someone gets a negative review on a Google review, right? Okay, well, is that real? So, you know, people make up names and they go in and they, they just, did, they want to mess with people. Yep. 
if you have three or four of them, how do you then go, hey, you know what, this isn't real? Or I acknowledge that this occurred, that this negative review occurred, but here's how I deal with that, right? So you're building trust. That's why the speaking thing is so important. The communication thing is so important. You need to build trust with your audience, whether you're a performer yeah. or a business person, so that they go, oh, hmm, yeah, I trust you. And moreover, they'll have your back for years to come, you know? Yeah. yeah. And they'll refer people to you. So. Yep. No, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I I said that to a, a nonprofit. I'm on a board of a nonprofit here in Delray. And they said a couple of years ago, they'd gotten this bad review on, and there was no truth to what the person was saying. You know, yeah. Yeah. And I was, and, but I was like, did you reply to it? And they're like, no, we just wanted to, we just, their answer to it was they went out and got like five positive reviews. Basically they got people right. that they knew, knew the organization and got five positive, which is one way to deal with it. But I'm like, you should have still engaged, you know, and just basically said, replied to them and said, Hey, thanks for the, you know, thanks. But you know, this is, you know, you don't have to say they're a liar, but you can just, you know, basically state the facts, the real facts, yeah. because um, you know, they're in ecological restoration. So if someone right. doesn't understand that, you know, they're, they may say something that is completely invalid, but yeah, for sure. You know, instead of just ignoring it and yeah, saying, there's, 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 a diff, there's a lot of different modes of thought, right? One is right. if someone's attacking, you know, uh, there was no a great publicist friend of mine said, what if they throw a war and nobody shows up? Yeah. Right. Like, come on, we're going to fight. Ah, and the one side's like, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> Uh, uh, and they're like, there's nobody on the other side. Yeah. They just go away. The other thing, and I've, I've dealt with this a lot with helping people with their social media, predominantly in let's say you're giving away a free product. Because look, a lot of you guys, if you're entrepreneurs, you may have a free product. Look, I, have, I don't know if you're allowed. I'm, I'm allowed to give away my book. I can give my book away for free on the show if you want me to. It's up to you. I don't, I, we didn't talk about that beforehand. But um, if you give away a free product and you put it on social media, let's say it's a Facebook ad and it's a free download of my PDF, mm -hmm. right? I've seen it so many times with somebody going, you know, scam, I put my email address in and didn't work, right? <laughs> and so right. that ranks, right? It has an effect on your ranking and your visibility. Yeah. So in those instances, uh, I have learned to go in and it's like, hey, so sorry you didn't, and reply as the profile, not as somebody else, the profile, like, right. you know, whoever the business owner is, hey, so sorry you didn't get the PDF. It is actually a free PDF. If you DM me your email address, I will make sure that you get it immediately. Right. Right. So what that does is it calls them on their stuff. Yeah. Because maybe they did, but maybe it went to spam mail. Bam. Right? Exactly. And it shows that you're actually taking action and not a fake account. And then if they started, you know, if they're like, oh, hey, and this has happened. I've seen it. Hey, you know what? I'm so sorry. It went to spam mail. Right. And yeah. they're. They're fixing their own comment. If they start to go, no, you're an eh, blah, 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 then it's just block. You have yeah. the absolute right to block and delete anything in your life yeah. that is not positive. Absolutely. Not even just on social media. People too. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. So as we start to wind down, I always ask one final question of all my guests. And that is, yeah. you know, if you were going to gonna give one tip that to a, someone that's newer in business or someone that's maybe been in business that's struggled in their early business career that's helped you along the way in your career, what would that be? Surround yourself with the people that have the same vision that you do. You know, as an athlete, you'll know this. You never get yeah. better by playing with people who are not as good as you, right? Playing tennis with someone who can't get the ball over the net, you're not going to increase your skill set. 
you need to play with people at the top of the game. And another great quote in this way, a friend of mine, a, a great, great singer from Australia once said to me, she said, darling, be the top of the mountain. Don't start at the bottom and think you've got to climb up. Put yourself at the top of the mountain. You may have a lot to learn, but intellectually, spiritually, mentally, you can put yourself at the top of the mountain and play the game at the level that you should play. And you're going to start to pull in people yeah. that have a like-minded thing, but also make sure that any toxicity, anybody who doubts, move them away. That's what I would say. No, that's awesome advice. Because yeah. I think that that really, you know, your day-to-day -day interactions completely impact everything else you do. You know, For sure. Even, so. For sure. Yeah. And if someone wanted to reach out to you, so I'm happy, you know, if you want to give away your book, that's perfectly fine. Oh, if someone cool. wanted to connect to reach out to you, like what's the best way to do that? Social media is awesome. All my social media handles are the same. It's at James Barber now, N-O-W. I like to do it because it's right now. <laughs> and the book is free. I mean, if you guys want to get it, it's my Artist Survival Guide book, What They Never Taught You in School. It went to number one on Amazon, thanks to our dear friend, Ken Walls. Um, and, you know, again, it, it, it has artists as its title, but it's really for entrepreneurs and, and, and showing how you can actually create the reality and the dream that you want. And it's a simple text. You can just text the word, the ASG, Artist Survival Guide, ASG, to 310-347-4988. 310-347-4988. Just text ASG. You'll get a message with a link to download. Boom. It's yours for free. So oh, there you perfect. go. Thanks for letting awesome. me do that. That was nice. Yeah. No, I always like to, you know, anything that can help the listeners. I mean, I'm all about that. So yeah, for um, sure. But thank you, James. I appreciate your time today. I appreciate you jumping on um, with me today to yeah, the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun. Got to know a little bit more about you. I knew a lot of that, but I uh, got to know a little bit more. And, um, you know, I think it'll be a powerful interview, you know, once I release in another week or so. Yeah, let me know so I can share it out. Yeah, no, absolutely. And thank you, everyone, for joining the Dream Plan Start Grow show. Again, I love working with you know new business owners or someone that's interested in possibly starting a business. So if you have any questions for me, please go to dreamplanstartgrow.com. I do offer a 30-minute complimentary consultation. I'm happy to listen to you, help you in any way I can, or if there's another resource that might be good for you, refer you to that as well. Thank you, and I will see you again next week. Thanks for tuning in to the Dream Plan Start Grow podcast with Allison Turner. If you like what you heard, make sure to subscribe and leave a review. Join the Dream Plan Start Grow community by following us on Facebook or Instagram at Dream Plan Start Grow. See you in the next episode.